everyone. Welcome back to Pencils and Lipstick. This is Kat Caldwell, and this is episode 219 of the podcast, and we are in the last week of February. And as this goes out, I am actually in New Orleans, and I am hanging out with lots of indie authors there at the Future of uh, Publishing Conference. I have it written down here that it's the future of podcasting, but it's not. It's the future of publishing conference. Um, I'm sure that we're having lots of fun as this goes out. Well, no, as you know, when this is like actually pu- like published, is that what we call it in podcasting? Um, I'll be on a plane, so I won't be having fun yet. But maybe as you're listening to this, I'm having a lot of fun. Um, I'll have a little bit of a rundown about that next week, maybe or maybe the week after. I don't know. We'll see if it's interesting enough to give you a rundown, but I'm sure I'm getting lots of cool information. Um, Actually, I'm really excited to meet Ream, which is a platform where you can sort of do your own, um, I want to say periodic publishing, but (laughs) that's not what they call it. It's kind of like your own Patreon just for writers where you can publish, you know, chapter by chapter, um, I guess it's what one of those things on Kindle does. Vellum. I've lost all my words today. Whatever. I'm going to stop talking about that right now. <laughs> so there are a couple of people that I'm actually really interested in talking to and, and hearing more about. And I will give you updates when I get back. Um, Next week is March. And on March 5th, my Kickstarter goes live. And I am both excited and nervous. Um, you guys don't know how much time I put into Bended Loyalty's book blurb. It was such a pain to write, like a really big pain to write. And I honestly can't tell you why. I, I, you know, I know how to write a book blurb sort of, I know that the theories of writing a book blurb, I know, um, I have lots of notes and, and courses and, you know, people helping me out. And I don't know, it just took a really long time. Um, But you can read the book blurb in the link below and get, you can give me feedback on it. I really hope that it's, it's good. I actually got some feedback from some people. So I think that, I think it's good now. Um, I don't know why it gave me so many problems and so much anxiety. Bended Love was a lot easier to write. Um, but I guess, yeah, give me feedback on that one too. Maybe it's, <laughs> maybe it's no good. I'm going to have like cold feet. This is harder than, uh, getting married. I would say <laughs> getting out there and putting on a Kickstarter. Um, one of the problems with Kickstarter is that it is like all or nothing. You have to put kind of like, uh, a goal that you can hit in order for it to have any sort of success. So if it doesn't hit the goal, you don't owe anybody anything, but they also don't pay you anything. And, And, you know, then you just have to grapple with your sense of failure and, you know, why are you even doing this in the first place? Voices coming at you. So nobody wants to do that. Um, So, yeah, you put it in an amount that is semi-easy to to attain. So I, my goal is 500 on Kickstarter. That's not really my goal. It wouldn't actually recoup any of the money that I've put into it. I mean, any, it would recoup the $500, but these are two books. So of course, you know, I had to get two covers and two editing passes and, um, formatting and book blurbs. I mean, it's just the time. It's the time that I put into it. It's the creativity. So, you know, it's funny when we talk about book launches and recovering the money, like all we really talk about is the money that we put in, in the moment, like the graphics and the formatting and the editing and the, uh, book covers. And that's definitely costs us money, but the actual art is what we should be paid for, right? Like in every other, uh, commerce sector, people are paid for the thing that they created. And of course, when I pick up a book, I'm thinking I'm paying the author I'm not paying for like the book cover but somehow indie authors for some reason we we give this excuse for wanting this exchange of money for book as a like oh but you're helping me pay for the book cover (laughs) so no you're actually helping me pay for um, my art and my work and putting my heart and soul into these stories and I hope that they entertain you. Honestly, I really, really hope that they entertain you, that they help uh, get you out of wherever you are at the moment, even if you're in a good point in life. I hope they make you think about things or 
or talk, you know, have interesting conversations with people, um, maybe look at people differently, maybe, um, maybe look at yourself differently. I don't know. I just really hope to entertain you. I, I'm actually, I was speaking to a friend, um, and I said, you know, I, I don't want to like turn people's worlds upside down. Like I'm not looking for a Pulitzer. And she was like, well, I kind of am like, that's, I mean, that would be really cool. And yes, it would be really cool. But at the moment, I just, I just really want to entertain you. I just, I just want these books to, to allow you to pass like an interesting moment in life. Really? <laughs> That's what I hope. And so that comes with its own, um, like, confidence overwhelm, right? Like, what if they're not entertaining? What if they're boring? <laughs> uh, the life of an artist. Um, our, our, you know, the little voices in our head will never leave us alone. So I'm sure somebody will find them boring. I'm sure I'll get some one star reviews, whatever. Let's get back to the topic of the Kickstarter. The Kickstarter starts May 5th. If you're March 5th, March 5th, March 5th, I'm going to say it three times, March 5th, next week, next Tuesday. Um, if you aren't following it already and you are a reader of contemporary fiction or contemporary women's fiction and you think you're going to want to read these books, I suggest that you click the link below and you just click that little button on Kickstarter that says notify me when it launches. Um, it's, it'll just be a little reminder to you. The most fun is happening the first 48 hours. I will be giving away um, lots of stuff. I mean, lots of stuff for contemporary, you know, drama fiction. Like fantasy is great because they can have all these AI bookmarks and digital printouts and maps and stuff. And I'm like, yeah, you don't want a map of Pelton, Kentucky. Like it's nobody cares. Um, so what I did was I made up metal uh bookmarks they're very cute they have little charms hanging off and so if you uh if you back the campaign through a paperback tier in the first 48 hours you get you will get one of those bookmarks in the mail uh you won't be able to choose it it will be at random but they're all cute they're all really cute uh you can also add them on as an add-on and then for any tier you will get the digital recipe booklet that goes along with what Charlotte makes in Bended Love. And the paperback tiers will also get a printout of the uh, recipe book. So that's really fun. Um, there's lots of different little add-ons and things. And you can always add on the digital book uh, recipe booklet and, or the uh, printed recipe booklet, and you can add on the bookmark. But if you think you want them and you want to read the books, first 48 hours you get it all like you know from what I just said whatever um today we are uh talking to Brooke Adams Law as she says she sounds like a law firm but she's not she's a writer um and we are going to talk a lot about her uh writing summit about her uh writing from the heart and writing passionately. And I just love hearing all these women talking about their, uh, their, their wanting to get deeper in their writing. I know I've said this a couple times now, but it's just so interesting that, that we seem to be wanting to focus on that and not necessarily focusing on the writing to market or writing what everyone else says we need to write, but writing what really resonates with us and um, taking the time with those characters and with those stories to give them the justice that they deserve, the time that they deserve, and, and in order to also, you know, bring you readers a great product us readers. I mean, I'm a reader too. So I think that you're going to really enjoy uh, Brooke Adams Law and learning more about her. She's out there. She's been talking to a lot of people. She talks to Tracy Skews and other people that I know, Susan DeFreitas. Um, so we're all kind of like in this little circle. But if you don't know much about her, I highly recommend you click on her links below. You follow her on social media, get to know her, see if her classes um, are right for you. Uh, and check out all the things that she has going on for free for her free offerings. And the best way to do that is to go to her website, get on her newsletter, of course, 
Um, so, okay, without further ado, let's go talk to Brooke Adams Law and see what she has. But okay, without further ado, let's get into the interview and have Brooke tell you more about herself, herself. Welcome, Brooke, to the podcast. I'm so excited to have you here. I'm excited to be here. Thank you. So we are going to talk about a lot of things, your writing journey, your coaching journey, the summits that you give. But before we get into that, why don't you introduce yourself a little bit to the audience? Yeah, awesome. So my name is Brooke Adams Law. People often think I'm a law firm, but in fact, I am not. Um, that's just my last name. So in any case, I am the founder of Writing Brave, which is a book coaching and hybrid publishing company. And I'm also an author. So my debut novel, Catchlight, came out a couple of years ago. And um, it won, or it it won the Fairfield Book Prize, which I'm really proud of. And it was also named a best indie book of the year by Kirkus Reviews. So, wow. yeah, really, I'm really proud of it. It took me a long time to write that book, and I'm really, I'm still really proud of it. So, good. Uh, and I'm working on my second novel right now. I love hearing an indie author say that it took them a while to write a book. I just oh. really like that because. Yeah. Long time. <laughs> it, it takes me a long time to write a book. I'm like, yeah. all you people like putting out 50 books a year. I can't, I can't keep up with this. Likewise. <laughs> so let's talk first about the book because you have a coveted carcass review. That's not just like, oh yeah, great. You know, I mean, this is a car like best indie book of the year is pretty amazing. Well, so it's um, on the list. The best, yeah. there was like a hundred indie books of the year, sure, but, but like, it was on the list. How many put out? How <laughs> many, compared to how many that got out? Yeah, that's so true. There's thousands. So, so tell us about that journey. Like when did you start writing? You know, what sort of goes into fulfilling that dream of, of publishing Catch Light? Yeah. Yeah. I love this question. So it was, it was sort of a lifelong dream of mine to publish a book. Like I remember being four years old and being like, people write books for a living. Like I want to be able to do that. Right. So, um, I first had the idea for this novel in 2007. So I had recently graduated from college and like many liberal arts majors, I was working at Starbucks and living at home and being like, Oh God, what's next? Like what's next for me. And it's really interesting because at the time I felt very sort of judgmental about those circumstances of my life. And looking back, I just see really clearly that if I had gotten some like big fancy office job, I probably never would have started that book. Right. So oh, it's wow. just really interesting how, how things turn out. Right. So right. I got the idea for this book, uh, which is about a family of four grown siblings who kind of can't stand each other. And their mother is diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease. And they're basically like, what now? Right. So the book yeah. is sort of about how they figure out how they're going to take care of their mother and also then how they're going to have relationships with each other. Right. And so I had this idea and I started writing and I wrote for like a couple of years and then I had a draft and I was like, all right, I did this draft and it is really bad. And like, I knew that it was a pretty bad draft, but I didn't okay. know how to make it better. So I ended up going to get an MFA degree. So a master of fine arts in creative writing. And it's funny because I was just listening to your interview with Gabby Pereira and I was basically like, I don't necessarily recommend getting an MFA for most people. However, that was the path that I took. And I was able to, during that program, really take the draft that I had. And I started it over from scratch, like two oh, times. Wow. And then, and I ended up with a book that I am like, so proud of it. Like, I'm like, wow, that was like everything that I had went into yeah. this book. Right. So in total, it took me about seven years from the time that I first had the idea to the time when I had that, you know, finished That's draft that I was bad. really proud of. That's not bad. Seven years. Though. And then though, it took me another six years to get it published. So yeah. it was definitely Always a journey, but I was relentless. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> But you were young and that's a big idea for a book. Mm, yeah. So I commend you for even starting it because I I can see like a young 20 something year old being like, fabulous idea. Mm. Don't even know how to start. Like, mm -hmm. <laughs> not even how do I even start even to get to a bad draft? That's pretty amazing. Yeah. Thank you. I think I sort of came to this idea. Um, so I had watched my grandmother go through Alzheimer's. And, and then at the time that I first had the idea, I was 
reading this book about an older narrator who was like in their eighties and they were sort of, they had recently retired and they were sort of on purpose making peace with their memories. And I remember okay. asking myself like, but what happens if you get to the end of your life and you don't get to do that, right? You don't get to kind of consciously reflect on your life and sort of look back on things. So that was sort of where the seed of the idea first came from. And yeah, I sort of went with it. I was like, I don't know if I can do this justice, but I'm going to at least give it a try. Yeah. And what I love is that you worked on it and you're proud of it because I know Mm -hmm. a lot of like writing is one of those things that it's technically free, right? Like, I mean, Mm. you got to buy the paper or like a word software, but you, you can just pound away at a keyboard or write away, you know, onto your paper, all you want in life. But like, it is difficult to get to the end of the story and then know if it's good, bad, ugly. And like half the time, the publishing industry won't really tell you just because they send a rejection doesn't mean that it's the book you Mm -hmm. know so like so you said that you knew it was bad like how did you but it's still worth working on so like how Mm -hmm. did you know that like you knew you could just make this into the story that that was in your head that you could do it justice yeah that's a great question I think so I read a lot like I just read all the time and so I had this sort of standard in my mind of like Mm. what a a good or or just enjoyable or entertaining novel right we could always debate about like what makes great writing blah 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 but I'm always like what makes it interesting what makes me want to keep reading and I would read my own book and be like (laughs) like it's not quite there right like and looking back I can see now like you know, I hadn't plotted intentionally in any way. There were a lot of like disconnected scenes. There weren't, there wasn't a lot of like, I had to raise the stakes. Right. And so, so those were all things like, I couldn't quite put my finger on it, but I was like, I just know that it's not quite there, but I was really like, I've already invested these like maybe two, three years of like my free time, my weekends, like working on this. And I wanted to be, I wanted to become the writer who could kind of do justice to the idea that was in my head. And that was why like, And for me, this was a very intuitive decision. Like one day I was like, I think I want to look into MFA programs. And then I saw an advertisement for one and I ended up, I applied there and only there. And that's where I went, right? Like I didn't do- It's like the red car. You're like, oh, I have an idea. (laughs) Exactly. And it was just, it was just sort of this intuitive decision of this is the path that I need to take to get to become who I want to become. And and that's, and it was literally, I remember I applied in like November- for their summer cohort, which started in July. And the, the director of the program emailed me and he was like, we have a space open for December. Like, do you want to come? And it was basically like four weeks away. Do you want to come for a residency in four weeks? And I was like, okay. Like, right. So it happened really quickly. How do you say no? Yeah. I was like, all right, let's do it. And he was like, you know, I was really very taken by the writing sample you submitted. And I was like, oh, well, right. Okay. Okay. Now I'll say yes. (laughs) Yeah. And looking back, I'm like, but did he just want my money? And like, maybe he did. However, that was also sort of just, um, that was like the entry point. Right. But I mean, I think there's people who have been in the writing industry, like he must, Mm. he saw something, you know, Mm -hmm. because you're now book coaching and editing and hybrid press like so you've seen a lot of manuscripts and you read a lot so we'll get into that but like you know when someone's able to they just need to learn how and this was what Mm -hmm. like 2010 11. yeah exactly yeah Yeah. i mean there weren't all there there was not the internet that is today right like there's not that because i remember around that time i had just given birth to the second one. And I was like, I would love to go to like a program and everything was in the States because then I was not in the States. But you know, there was not these internet um, groups like Gabriela Pereira's group, you know, the DIY MFA, like that just wasn't a thing. So I can understand why you'd Mm -hmm. be like, if I need help, if I need to learn this, I'm going to go get my MFA and get it from the people who studied this and are immersed in it, right? They can help you. Totally. Yeah. And then it was interesting because, right. So the same writing sample I had submitted, which was my first chapter at the time um, I submitted, you know, to get entry into the program. Then I submitted for my first workshop and I still remember like everyone just tore it apart and I was like, oh gosh. Um, And right. Like, so 
I give feedback very differently than some, some of the workshop models that I've experienced. And also, right. I really got a lot of feedback that was like, oh, this is what's not working. And this is what I can do to make it work. Right. And so that was sort of the beginning of being able to internalize those lessons and then be able to edit my own work. Right. I feel like that was the biggest skill that came out of my MFA is I can, I have a pretty good eye now for my own work is like, I can read it and be like, oh, this is not working. And I still get feedback. I mean, I still work with other folks, but I feel like I really developed that skill of being able to edit my own stuff, which has served me really well. Of course. And it is scary. Like everyone has that story. I feel like if you've ever stepped out and asked for feedback, everyone has a story and like, and it's really harsh and it's hard to get through. And if you had to sit through that in person, that must've been rough. Yep. Oh gosh. But you kept going cause you're in this pro. So it's like, oh, it, it's like, it's difficult. Cause the, the story is so dear to you. And like you said, you had spent we all spend so much time on the, on the book. Right. Mm. And you're looking for the feedback, but sometimes it's, it's not given in the the ground. Yeah. And so this is the reason why in my own business, I don't use a workshop model and I'm not saying that they don't work. I know that people use them and they're very common sort of at the university level and master's level. But, um, I just think for me as a very sort of sensitive person, getting feedback from one person is more impactful than getting feedback from like seven people, especially right. Like you said, when you're in a room and you're just like, I feel like everyone's looking at me. Oh my gosh. Right. So, um, it's just really difficult emotionally. And so, and so I've sort of taken that of like, also, where did I find that my own writing most improved? It was actually like, when I was working during the MFA program one-on-one with a professor during the semester, I felt like that was actually even more impactful than the workshops were. And so that's why I use that sort of one-on-one feedback in my business instead of a workshop model. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, yes, I think this all goes into different personalities and everything, but totally. um, There's good and bad to to workshop for sure. (laughs) It definitely uh, helps you get a thicker skin, which is, Mm sometimes good, but man, (laughs) it can rip your heart out. So you didn't give up. Obviously you kept going and you're getting value from this. And so by the end of the MFA, did you have the book done? So I had probably 70% of it done and I knew exactly where that last 30% was going. Right. So I finished the last maybe 30% like that. So I graduated in like January and then I finished it maybe by like April and then, oh, and then, you know, I got feedback on the whole book from one of my professors that I had worked with. And, you know, I made a couple last weeks and then it was pretty much done. And then I proceeded to query 125 agents and all of them said no. And I was like, this is really intense. So yeah, it's, this is kind of goes to the relentless portion is like, I was just like, I'm just going to keep going. Um, but in the end, so I, so I put it away for a little while and then maybe a year or two after that, I entered it for a contest and then, and part of the prize was a book deal and it's really interesting. Right. And it kind of goes to the whole idea that, you know, writing is so subjective because I had entered it for the same contest, like two years previously, didn't even make it to the finalist round. And then I entered the same exact book with like, I didn't change anything at all. And then it won the whole thing. So it really just depends on who's reading it and sort of, you know, I don't know the right timing. Yeah. That's really important to understand. And I think it's hard to understand sometimes, especially when you're in the middle of getting 125 rejections. And you don't know, right? If the story is going to have a happy ending or not, right? That whole six years that I was looking for a book deal, I did not know if it was going to happen or not. I really was like, I don't know. Maybe this will not be the book that gets a book deal. Like, I don't know. Oh my goodness. But good for you for keeping, for going. So is that the Fairfield book prize? Was that the contest or was Yep. So that was the contest. And it's actually, so it's open to folks who have done an MFA through Fairfield University. Okay. Um, and so in one sense, it's a smaller pool of people, but on the other sense, you know, that everyone's work is really good. Yes. <laughs> because, you know, they're like colleagues and peers. They've already gone through like a vetting process. So you better, <laughs> you yeah. better like really have it ready. So then did you get a book deal out of that? Was it, was it 
published hybrid or fully self or, or traditional? What so no, mean? it was, they have a partnership with a small independent traditional press called Woodhall okay. Press. And so they, yep, they ended up publishing it. Yay. And how, how has, was that 2015, 2016? Uh, no, 2020 is when it officially came out. Oh man. I can't add. That does <laughs> well, so yeah, like we, so I graduated in 2013 and then it took, it took like six years and oh, then I, years I got the deal then. in 2019. Yeah. Wow. Good for yeah. you. I'm, I'm glad I like this story because it, it can, can happen for you, it for anyone. It can, <laughs> it can well, happen. It, it's just like, I come across a lot of people just in like day-to-day -day life. I live in DC. So very like government workers and they're all contractors. And then somebody will like, like I'm an author you know I'm very like not the same as everyone else and a lot of people will say I've started a book or I've written a book and for whatever reasons usually through rejection or through feedback they've given up mm. and and I don't like that like there is a reader for almost every book like mm -hmm. believe me I have edited quite a few different books yeah. <laughs> that might not be for me but there are readers for them and so it kind of hurts me when I'm like oh you got to keep going. You got to keep trying, you know, because in this scheme now in 2023, it seems completely worth it, right? Yep, totally. Yes. But during that time, I was really like, again, I don't know. I don't know if this is going to happen for me. Maybe it won't. Um, but I'm really I'm just relentless. <laughs> good, good. So it, after that, so you're you're trying to, you know, you're going back and forth and sending out all these queries. And that's a whole nother thing for agents. What did you do after your MFA? Did you go back to Starbucks or did mm. you start? <laughs> so, so actually during, when I was getting my MFA, I was working for a nonprofit at the time in New York city. And, you know, so I, and I was commuting on the train. So I used to handwrite on the train. I was wow. working on my book because my laptop at the time weighed like 15 yes, pounds. I remember. <laughs> That's so true. I forgot about that. Yes. yes this is a real thing. They were so heavy and it's not like there was internet is so cumbersome. Yeah. I know. Yeah. So it's wild. So, so, and I worked at that nonprofit for a long time and then I stepped out and started my own business. So when the book came out, I had already started my own business and was kind okay. of building writing brave and that, okay. So that's writing brave that you started. Mm -hmm. So what yeah. made you start wanting to help writers? Like you're in the midst of just living your life and trying to get your book published. What made you want to be like, and I want to help other writers. <laughs> go through yeah. the same pain. <laughs> yeah. So I think part of it was, I really wanted to have my own business. That was actually okay. the start of it is, um, I was having some health problems and I needed kind of a more flexible schedule. And my husband moves around a little bit for his work. And I was really like, I do not want to have a job where I will have to get a different job every time we move. Yeah. I want to have something that can be really location independent. And so I actually started off, I first was copywriting. So I was writing websites and marketing emails, things like that for clients. And then I was working with a business coach and my book was, had just, you know, gotten the deal and I was getting ready. I was, you know, finishing edits and everything and preparing for its release. And my business coach at the time was just like, what are you doing? Like you're over here doing copywriting for these, you know, businesses. But she was like, you have this, you have an MFA, you have like this, you have a book coming out, right? Like, what are you doing? Why are you not helping writers? And I was like, that would be a lot more fun. That would be a lot more fun than writing another <laughs> website. Sense. I had just written so many websites by that point. And so I, it took me a little while to transition, but I just started like talking to people about writing. And I, the first, the very first thing I did was um, I would do something called the writing circle on Monday mornings and we would just get on zoom and write together. This was pre pandemic. So before that became all the rage um, and that was sort of the beginning. And I just sort of started building a client base from there. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. I mean, there's something weird about writing again, you know, like, yes, I want to help writers and like, if you, if you think about that abstractly in like 2016, you'd be like, I don't know how, like, mm. I mean, again, the world has changed a lot, right? Like mm -hmm. you were on zoom before the pandemic. I was too, but it was, so it was interesting to me in 2020 when some people were like, what's zoom, oh, gosh, oh my goodness. Yes. <laughs> you know, but that's kind of how the world is. And sometimes like many people come to writing through many different ways. So it's like, you mm -hmm. have to find them like, mm -hmm. and do you want help? Or do you want mm -hmm. help? So like, so how did you find these, these people who wanted to come together and wanted to write? And then how did you find your, your niche of mm. who you help? 
Yeah, it's taken some time. And I, I think it's sort of a little bit of trial, trial and error and just figuring out like, what are the products that I like working on? Who, who are the types of people that I like to work with? And, but I really just started posting on Facebook. I would be like, I'm doing this thing called the writing circle and you can come and sign up. And I had, you know, a little, a really basic sign up page. And so then I had this little email list of like 75 people. Right. So, and it was, that was sort of how it started. And it's really interesting because just as I've been meeting more people in our industry, I see a lot of folks who sort of niche down based on, you know, I work with fiction writers or sometimes even more like I work with fantasy writers, right? So really specific. Mm. And I don't do that, but I work with a type of person and the type of okay. person that I work with, who's generally really drawn to my work is sort of very sensitive, very intuitive, very creative, and maybe is feeling shut down for different reasons, right? Maybe because you've had an experience like the one I had in that first workshop where like people just start trashing your work or, right. I, I kind of walk people through this process that I call of healing creative wounds of like, Mm. all of us have these creative wounds where we made something and it wasn't received the way that we had hoped. And so people who are drawn to my work tend to be like, oh yes, tell me more about that. And so that becomes sort of an entry point. And I think another, another thing that I found is I know we both spoke on uh, Daniel David Wallace's summit, and I did a talk about plotting as an intuitive writer. And so, you know, other folks call it being a pantser where you write by the seat of your pants. I don't love that, that name, but a lot of people know what that is, but that's totally how I write is I sit down and I have no idea like what's going to come out and it's not very efficient, but it's a really enjoyable process. And so I just talked a little bit and it was a very personal talk. And I got a lot of feedback from people being like, this is me. Like you are taught, like we think the same. Right. And so I was like, Oh, these are my people. Right. So I feel like I'm always kind of crystallizing who it is I'm talking to, but those folks who identify as an intuitive writer, when I use that phrase, I'm like, Oh yes, we're right. We're, we can jam. Yes. (laughs) Yes. And I think every time an industry like grows and I feel like our industry is, has changed so much that it's almost back in the teenage years again, Mm, (laughs) you know, like the Kindle has changed everything. Self-publishing has changed everything, the internet. Um, and so I've started to see in the last few years, just a lot of, there's a lot of teaching out there, but Mm. it's definitely towards a certain type of writer and a certain type of personality. And I talk Mm. about personality a lot because you, you, you can't change your personality in the way that can cram into somebody's way of teaching if it's yes. completely contradictory to who you are. Like you're yes. just not going to be able to do it, right? Totally. And so I think you're very not opposite, but you're you're very in a in a specific spot that isn't being served. Like mm-hmm. that group of people are not necessarily being served mm-hmm. because you can be writing any kind of genre and yet be an intuitive writer and not Mm -hmm. really be finding the resources that you need. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you so much for saying that. And I have, it's interesting because I think there is a lot of shame among Mm -hmm. us intuitive writers that we can't plan a book in the way that other people can, or we can't kind of follow like a formula or a structure map or whatever it is. Like you were saying, like what, what some folks teach, which I'm always like, if I like, there is so much good teaching out there. And I'm like, if I could follow that, I would, but like whenever I try to, it just like, it jams for me. It just like, I I just get stuck. So I've had to find these other ways in to my story Mm. and and sometimes I feel a bit like as a teacher, like, oh my gosh, but my work is not as, it's not as specific or like, or, or easy to understand maybe as, as some things that other people teach. And also whenever I talk about it, people are like, yes, we want more about this. And I'm like, oh, okay. Right. So I'm not the only one, right. It, it does yeah. feel a little bit like, um, I come at it from an angle that, that is a little bit different, but yes. um, yeah. Yeah. And, and I think we need more people to teach in different ways because Mm -hmm. I was at a workshop yesterday in which it was a great workshop, absolutely wonderful. And because I would love to see if I could write a little faster, Mm -hmm. (laughs) like I could come to my story. And I, and they were talking about like, ask, you know, ask yourself where to find where your character ends 
where they think they could never be in the beginning of the story. And mm. I thought, that's a great question. I can answer it for any story I have finished. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Ask me about the one that I'm about to start. And I'm like, Hmm. <laughs> yeah, no, my mind just goes blank. It's like white noise in there. And I'm like, uh, or, yeah. or I come up with this great idea and then I start writing it and it just goes, it yep. takes like a hard left and it Never goes, mind. a hundred percent, a hundred percent. Um, the book that ahead. I'm writing now, I got two years into the process of it. When I realized I had this huge epiphany one day looking at a deck of Oracle cards, I had this huge epiphany of where all my characters were trying to go. And I was like, oh my gosh, everyone's journey suddenly makes sense. And it's like a huge, it's like the main part of the story, but it took me two years to get there. And if I had tried to come up with that at the beginning, it just would not have been like interesting. Like I would never have come to that answer. Right. So I'm yes. so glad that you are on the show. I'm going to be one of, those, one of those other people that's like, yes, exactly. And it's really difficult, I find sometimes, to, to talk about that sort of issue in the, in the writings field because it is so much easier to mm. teach the way that, well, I come up with it before I start writing and this is what happens. And, and you know, that might come along with certain genres, like mm -hmm. maybe cozy mystery or thriller. And, mm -hmm. but then there are other genres, like I do a lot of contemporary family dramas, whatever mm -hmm. Amazon niches down to more and more, right? Like <laughs> contemporary fiction, we used to just call it fiction. Um, <laughs> and like you said, you, you threw out your manuscript twice. Like I have done that before. And I was speaking on one summit and everyone went, <gasps> And I thought, well, that's interesting. There's a whole group of writers who aren't willing to do that, mm -hmm. right? So, but if you get an epiphany, half the time you have to throw out what you just wrote. Yes, and, and that happens to me, right? I remember being so gratified because the last semester of my MFA, I was working with a professor who had, I had had a workshop with her like previously. And I said, I sat her down and I was like, okay, there's a lot of change. I'm making really big changes. Like I'm going back to page one and I'm, you know, I'm changing the setting, which made a huge difference in that book because I had an epiphany. And she just said to me, I always like to hear about big changes happening in a novel because it means you're listening to the book. And I was like, oh, that feels so good. Like in my body, like, yes, I'm listening to the book. So, but yes, I've had people say the same thing. Like I'll just be completely horrified because I start over the new book. I've started over probably at least twice as well. And it's not that like I throw every single thing out, right. but I just know where it's going, but I can't go back and change it. I have to like start with a fresh piece of paper. I just do. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and I would encourage anyone who like, it's not as hard as you think it is. Like it might, mm -hmm. like, you don't, it's, it's a computer, right? Like everything can be backed up to the cloud. Of mm -hmm. course I have like every, yes. <laughs> every version of every book, but it's also not wasted time and I, and I'm like really high on the achievers. So I've had to like have this conversation with myself, but I've mm -hmm. finally come to, to believe that it is true. I really believe that it's true. Like I know my characters so well mm -hmm. that I am able to write in such a way that the blips of backstory make sense, which without having to do loads and loads of the backs like i can delete it from the the page mm -hmm. so that the mm -hmm. re reader is not overwhelmed mm -hmm. but they know enough right and so like it's not wasted time ever yes you just know your characters to a level that that resonates with the reader in a way that they won't even know how you know mm -hmm. like but i don't i don't see that as wasted time Yes, I agree with you so much. And I say this, I actually use that exact phrase, like nothing is wasted. There's no wasted time. And I have a client who, when she first came to me, she had a novel and it was literally like 1200 pages, the first draft that she oh, sent wow. me. And I was like, okay, well, I, I, she wants a traditional book deal. And I was like, that's not going to work. Right. So, and then we, yeah. and we've been working on kind of whittling it down. And the way that I explained it to her is like, I said, it's almost like you've written your character's autobiography and now you need to write, you know, their memoir, like, or their novel. I mean, it's fiction, but I really said like, we, you know, 
the way that I put it to her was almost that what she knows about her story is like this iceberg, right? And it's like the iceberg, like 90% of it's under the surface, right? And the reader doesn't see it on the page, but it's like, they can feel like you were saying, they can feel, you know, your felt sense of who these people are. And it just makes them come even more alive. I really yes. believe that too. Yes. Yes. I, I think the more that you know your characters, the more the the less you have to give away every single time and like mm. you can carry that mystery almost about them until it's the right moment mm. um and you can see this what's interesting is like knowing your characters can make up for like any plot hole that might get through mm. in your story yes. you know like mm -hmm. because let's face it like no book is completely perfect mm -hmm. like someone's gonna be able to point out that like something <laughs> somewhere right <laughs> but like even that book that we might think is not greatly written the reason that it might be resonating and trending somewhere is because of the characters right like mm -hmm. people have identified with them and isn't that what we want we want yeah. our readers to identify with them yeah, totally so then how you say you have clients and you have this intuitive writing and how do you work with people on this intuitive process? Because it feels sometimes it can feel like, well, yeah, I have to intuit. So like, how can you help them along in this journey if, if there aren't templates? It's <laughs> <laughs> yes. a great question. So actually the main, the main way that I work with folks is through a six month small group uh, class called the okay. secrets of storytelling mastermind. Mm -hmm. And when this is coming out, it will already have started for the year. So I, so I enroll it once a year in November and then it starts in January, right? So, so mm -hmm. this class will already be in motion. And so the, but the way that I do it is sort of, you know, there's eight to 12 people. It's a really small group. And I do a weekly class where we're working on, I do a lot of, you know, kind of guided meditation to help people okay. listen to their book and, and develop really, I call it a relationship with the spirit of your book and that you almost come to be able to ask your book like what happens next? Like, what should I work on next? Right. And, and sort of being able to move through like the different parts of the process, including when you get like stuck and you're like, this is terrible. And I don't know what's supposed to happen next. And this is never going to work. Right. And kind of how do you just emotionally carry yourself through those That'll really hard happen moments? like 50 times. <laughs> exactly. And people often take that, those moments as a sign that they're working on the wrong idea or their book is never going to work. Right. And it's, that's not what it is. Right? Mm -hmm. It's just part of, it's literally just part of the process and every writer has those right. moments. Right. So just like, you know, building the skills, keep, keep moving through. And the course also includes one-on-one -on -one feedback. So folks submit work every month to one of my editors, and then they get an editorial letter and um, a one-on-one -on -one coaching session. Ooh, okay. So I really found that that like the weekly group teaching, like having a small group to cheer each other on, and then also having that one-on-one -on -one feedback, like all of that working together really helps people move the needle towards yeah. what they want to be working on. Right. So towards the yes. book that they're, that they're doing. So that said, um, if you're listening to this, like, you know, when it comes out in February, you can go to my website, which is wearewritingbrave.com and jump on my email list. And I do a lot of other things during the year. So I do free workshops. Um, I'm doing a workshop in May for, with the London Writers Salon, and that's on dissolving writer's block. And I'm talking a lot about, um, healing creative wounds, which I mentioned okay. earlier. Yeah. And then I also in April run something called the writing brave summit, which is a free, it'll probably be four days this year, four day events and have lots of speakers and, and classes and everything okay. like that. And, and do the speakers sort of, are, do they, are they intuitive writers as well? Or do you a know, lot of them are, I do a mix. I sort of, I sort okay. of have some folks who are, who are doing like this is how to plan, right? I kind of do a mix. And then I have a lot of people though, talking about intuitive writing and how to, how to enter your book in different ways and, and sort of all that goodness. Yes. Yeah. So when people sign up for your uh, masterclass, it sounds really amazing because you and I have both like worked on books all by ourselves and there was no internet mm -hmm. and there was no groups as far as I could tell. And the library had like people who were way older than me. <laughs> it's like, you know, in your 20s, I at least was like, oh, I'm very intimidated by these people and I cannot do this. Um, so coming together and like getting encouragement every week and 
and being able to submit every month, do you really find that 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 pushes everyone to to keep writing and to get their their book done? Yeah, I find it really pushes people to keep going and to be like, we talk a lot about having sort of a consistent writing practice, whatever that looks like. And right, like I said, we do a lot of that emotional work of like when you hit a stuck point or I, I do get a lot of people who are writing nonfiction, people hit okay. points where they're writing about things that are really painful or difficult mm. to think about. And so how do you kind of take care of yourself kind of through that process? So I really find that people move forward when they have, again, like you were saying, that group, the yeah. group aspect, and then the one-on-one -on -one feedback aspect yeah. together. So they're still working very much at their own pace and doing mm -hmm. their own. So there's no, like, you will finish in six months. No. I, and I, it's interesting because I've thought a lot about the promise of the mastermind and whether I sh quote unquote should be like, you're going to finish your book in six months. And what I have found is that just does not work for the type of people that come mm -hmm. to me. And so my goal though, is to kind of build skills for people that you can have like as you right. go forward. And another concept that I teach a lot about is this idea of stepping into your author identity that you can kind of decide that you're an author before you have a published book. So it's very much like Stephen Pressfield's idea of turning pro. It's sort of, which has nothing to do with being paid for your writing, but it has to do with this mindset okay. of moving, right? He talks about moving from being an amateur to sort of being a pro. And that just means that you show up for your writing every day and you show up or, you know, not every day, but you show up for it regularly, right? In some right. form. And you keep going even when you're feeling a lot of resistance, right? So, but I really focus on helping people kind of develop that author identity. And so even when I would say most people do not finish in the six months and some people finish shortly thereafter and some people, you know, two years later are still working on their book and, and circling back with me though, like I finished a draft. Can I send it, you know, can we work together? You know, can, can you send right. it to me? Can they send it to me? So um, it's really fun to get those emails. <laughs> yeah, of course. So do you also, um, do you also take full manuscripts and you edit yep. them or what? what yeah. Like? Yep. So I do developmental editing on full manuscripts, which I okay. call first draft feedback, but it's really just, it's development. Whatever editing. draft it is. Like, yes. I don't know why people call it first or second. Like, yeah, I don't exactly. even know. Tenth draft. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so those are the sort of the two main ways as I work with people who have a finished manuscript or right through the mastermind is the mastermind works really well. If you're, either just starting out or if you've got, you've written some amount and you're kind of like stuck and needs yeah, and you need to, go to keep going. Yeah, yeah, of course. Of course. So why do you think that the author mindset and the author identity is so important to work on before you're published? Yeah, this is a great question. So the story that I always tell is I was part of this author panel at some point during the pandemic. So maybe like I feel like it was early 2021 maybe and it was supposed to be in person and then whatever there was another another wave and so whatever we were doing this on zoom and someone asked this question of like you know how do you deal with imposter syndrome and it was really interesting because I think there were maybe six authors on the panel and most of them were I would say more successful than I am like have sold more books have won awards like you know like pretty well-known people and person after person after person just started saying like, I actually still feel like a fraud and I feel like I'm not a real writer. And when I'm working on my next book, I always feel like the jig is up and they're going to find out and write like all this stuff. Oh, yeah. And I was just like, this is fascinating. And so the moderator of the panel who's someone who's pretty big in the, in the book industry was like, oh, this is so interesting. And like, you know, this person is kind of, um, a big, like has a big network and, and they were like, maybe we could put together some sort of, you know, cause we were talking specifically about essays, personal essays. And so this person was like, maybe we could do something through her company with that's like, you know, a certification. So you could, so, and that would help with your imposter syndrome. Like if you could have, like, I've been certified by such and such. And I sort of got up on my soapbox a little. And I was like, look, if you don't feel like a real writer after having like all these successful books published, then like having a little certification sticker on your website is not going to help. And, and I said, like, it's really an inside job. Like you can kind of decide for yourself, like, I'm going to become the author that I really want to be. 
And you can sort of take all those steps to do that internal, like emotional and mental work, or, you know, you cannot. And, and, and what I, what I found through that experience was just that people having the external validation, it didn't help them internally actually right. like at all. Right? right. And so, and I think that that's one reason that I was able to keep going through all of that rejection is right. Part of what I did during the MFA was like, I really decided I'm going to build my life the way a writer would. Right. And so part of it was because of the degree, but part of it was really just the practice of like, I'm going to become a writer and I'm going to use this process to become a writer. I have a lot of peers who are in the MFA with me who have never written again. Right. Like, so it's not just because you go through and get a degree, like it's not the external validation. It's, it's that internal kind of decision to kind of have that relationship with your writing and to show up for it, you know, on some regular basis. Yeah, That's really fascinating. Cause it's, there's so much that goes into this field, right. But it's mm. fascinating to hear that everyone feels slightly like a fraud. And unfortunately that sounds like, like, like it almost might become a jewel in our crown to think mm. like I'm, yeah, we all think that, you know, we all have imposter syndrome when really what you're saying is like, no, we can get through it and we, we can call ourselves writers and why, why would we not? And, and I really, yeah. I like that because I, I was listening, my kids are, I have girls. And so there's a lot of Taylor Swift in my car and Harry Styles. <laughs> like, I love Taylor Swift. So I love them, but I was thinking like, this is interesting how they're, if you sing a song, you're a singer. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's what you do. And the, how many people do you know who do music on the side? They do full time jobs, but they love singing and they mm-hmm. call themselves singers. Yep. And it's not as fraught, maybe. Yes. And yet we can't say we're writers. I'm a writer. I'm an author. You know, yeah. I'm working on a book. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if it's always been like that or it's new. I don't know, but I do like that you're speaking contrary to what is sort of becoming that like Mm -hmm. norm of like yes imposter syndrome like you said we we have these ups and downs always because Mm -hmm. in the end like it's great if you can join um the writing brave the i guess secrets of storytelling mastermind like at least you're getting feedback you're getting surrounded by people but in the end you still have to keep writing right Mm -hmm. and you will of course your brain is I mean, our brains are awesome and terrible at the same time. Like we are our own worst enemies. Mm-hmm. Like this is no good. Especially if you read a great book, you'll come back to your own and be like, oh, throw it all out. This will happen to you several times. Forever. <laughs> but it doesn't mean you're not a writer. Yeah, it doesn't. And I think there's also a way of like, like I read books that are amazing and I'm always kind of like, Sometimes there is that moment of like absolute despair. Like what is even the point of, right? It's like, you know, that drama queen in my brain is like, what is even the point of going on? Right. But I really try after I let, I let that drama queen part of me kind of rage a bit, but I really try to then use it as fuel. Like, okay, what did I like about this book? What do I admire about what this author is doing? How can I emulate that? How can I sort of always be pushing my edge of like what I'm actually capable of. And that's how we improve, right? It's like, that's literally like how people learn. So I'm always practicing that. Yes. And, and I love telling people like, if you don't, if you don't get one book out and then the next one, you can never see how much you've improved. And like, Mm -hmm. for some reason, despite however many times we've told people like first draft, nothing. It's like 50 drafts, right? If not a hundred, <laughs> yes. if like, or like first draft of this one, I threw out the other two, you know, like who knows? <laughs> like, it's never really that. It's like the finished product that you read has hours of heartbreak and mm-hmm. work and revisions put into it. It's a, always a work of love, no matter what it is, whether it resonates with you or not, right? It's, yeah. it's, it's something that's like, you're a writer if you care about writing the story, you know, like it, if you care, even if you get one book out, 150 books out, I don't know, I, I'm with you. I want people to say like loud and proud, I'm a writer because I wrote a poem in fifth grade. <laughs> yes. Own it. Own it. So, so then what does writing brave? Why did you come up with that, that title for your company? 
Yeah. So this goes back to a story where I, I got to be, I got to put an essay in an anthology a few years ago, which felt like I was like, oh my gosh, it's happening for me, right? Someone invited me to be part of an anthology. It was really exciting. And I spent hours and hours. And I mean, I couldn't even tell you how many hours I spent on this like 1200 word essay. And I mean, just like weeks of time. And I really sort of dug deep and I, I said, I said really vulnerable things, right? So the essay is called uh, the world I build for you. And it's about, it's about body image. Like after I gave birth to my daughter and I'm writing this letter to my daughter who is now four years old. And I was just telling her like all the things that people, people had lots of opinions when I was pregnant about how my body looked when I was carrying her. And I just wrote about how that felt. And like, it was really deep and vulnerable. And like, I really sort of let it all hang out, not in like an oversharing way, but in like a really thoughtful way, I thought, or I hoped. And when I ended up reading the finished collection, I was really struck by the fact that like, a lot of the essays were, very, I mean, everything was very well written and a lot of them were very clever and like funny, but I was like, oh, wow, not everyone. In fact, I would say most people did not sort of go to the same level of, of vulnerability that I did. And I really, at first I was kind of like, oh my gosh, did I, did I go too far? Did I go, did I say too many true things right in one place? And, and there was sort of some like embarrassment about it. And I really thought about it and I was like, you know what? Like, if I'm going to write something and put it out there, I want it to be the bravest thing that I can say. And so that's sort of where the, you know, the, the tagline writing brave first came from. And I really sort of come back to that moment of like, oh, wow, I want to sort of write all those moments when I write things that I almost want to like vomit because they're so personal. And again, I don't overshare, but, and I'm always very careful about what I do share, but I want to like always be stretching that vulnerable edge. Yeah. And I think that's what really people readers connect to. Yes. And so I want to be a model of that for, for the writers that I work with. I think you're right. And I, I was talking to somebody. <laughs> Who was I talking <laughs> you to? talk to a lot of people. I talked to a lot of people. I've talked to, let's say like a lot of these interviews I'm, I'm, I'm recording before Christmas and they're coming out and 2024, like a lot of mostly women that I've spoken to are coming back to this idea of bravery and courage and writing in that way. Like there are, there are many different ways to write and I don't want to discredit any of them, but I've really come to, to believe that the braver you are in your own personal convictions, whether it's a nonfiction essay or whether it's your fiction, if yeah. you're willing to put your passions into the story, yeah, that is going to resonate more with a reader than anything else that you could do. Like sitting on the fence, you could write a story, but I'm not sure that it will resonate and stick with the reader the way that you might hope as the author. Yeah, I totally agree. So I, I love this idea of writing brave and like putting it there on your website. Like, this is what we're going to do. And mm -hmm. we're going to encourage each other to do this. And that means different things for different people, right? Whatever yes. that bravery is. Yes, definitely. And I was saying, I just posted something on Facebook like last week where I was like, you know, it became clear to me that I had to do, to, to send an email to somebody. And I was just like, I was literally like, I feel like I'm going to throw up. I'm so nervous about sending this email. And then I was just like, everything that I've done in my business, in my life, in my writing, that has been like a great result has started with me taking an action that made me want to throw up. Cause I was yeah. like so nervous about doing it. Right. So I was kind of like, you know, I'm just gonna, I'm just, I'm going to do it. And I did do it and, and it was fine, but it, it was just one of those things where I was like, okay, this is part of living that brave life. It's right. sort of like doing those things that make you want to cry. True. It's true. <laughs> in it moderation. is so true. And I think it's important for us to, to speak on that, especially as moms and especially mm -hmm. as mom, as moms of girls, yeah. like maybe we're more intuitive. I don't know. I'm not a man. So I don't, I don't know. I'll only speak for myself, man anxiety, nerves, mm -hmm. 
bravery like it's all things that you just have to keep going forward <laughs> you yeah. and it will come back yeah you have and, to keep being brave you don't get to stop yeah. you don't sort of reach this magical point I don't yes. think where everything just is easy all the time it's I know. Just, unfortunately <laughs> like when you're and then five, you know you take like, breaks you take yes. breaks where you curl up in your pajamas in bed and you're like, oh gosh, I can't believe yes. that I happened. I can't believe, I can't believe, you know, and then you'll find that it's actually okay. And, you yeah. know, <laughs> yes, I know. Actually, being an adult is hard, man. <laughs> it is. So people need to get on your newsletter, basically. So if they go to wearewritingbrave.com, they get on your newsletter and that's where they can really find like the up-to-date, your summit coming up, the Writing Brave Summit, um, your workshops, and then getting on the Secrets of Storytelling Mastermind next year. Yes. Yeah, so the waiting list, I, I opened the waiting list like in July. I just start getting okay. people ready. So, um, but yes, if you go to my website, you can take, actually, I have a free quiz there that will tell you your writing routine personality. So mm -hmm. a lot of times people think they have to write every day or they have to write first thing in the morning and you don't, and your personality might determine what kind of writing routine works best for you. So I have a quiz yes. there, which is really fun. Oh, that is fun. Very fun. All right. So we will have the links in the show notes below. And that is probably the best place to go find Brooke Adams Law, which it is so funny that you say that people think you're a law firm. <laughs> but she's not. She is a, a writer who is writing brave and wants you to write brave as well. So thank you so much, Brooke, for coming on the show and talking to us. This was a delight. Thanks for having me.